0: Welcome to the Accelerate Podcast, a podcast for high-performing, current, and aspiring female founders and CEOs across Africa. And for those who also have a passion for Africa, this is the place to learn about the critical success factors and best practices of some of the most amazing, high-performing female founders and CEOs. As we help you grow to be the best version of you, achieve time and financial freedom whilst living a significant life. Thanks for tuning in to listen. I'm your host, Nekamubi. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Accelerate Podcast. And I am delighted to introduce my guest for today. Her name is Yoadan Tilahun, and she's the founder and the CEO of Flawless Events. She's based in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and I'm delighted that she's my first guest out of Ethiopia. Uh, Flawless Events organizes summits, corporate events, and conferences throughout the African continent. Yoadan founded Flawless while working in Washington, DC, and she relocated the company to Ethiopia in 2008 in recognition of the opportunities on the African continent. Her team has since hosted events in Ethiopia, Cote d'Ivoire, Burkina Faso, Nigeria, Gabon, Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, South Africa, and Mauritius. Wow. Yodan is an enthusiastic advocate for professionalizing the, I believe the mice industry should tell us more about that in East Africa. Flawless has won the Event Planner Africa Award at Meetings Magazines, as well as other awards. She serves as the president of the Ethiopian Events and Ethiopian Organizers Association. Most recently, the UNDP awarded her Seasoned Entrepreneur of the Year 2018 Award, and also to another organization, Meetings Nest, Um, recognized as 2017 changemaker for her trailblazing role in Ethiopia's events industry. She's been featured on Forbes Africa and How We Made It in Africa. She leads flawless events with a keen eye for design and detail and a passion for flawless delivery. She holds an MBA in international business and is fluent in Amharic, English and French. Along with her husband, they are raising three growing boys. You are then welcome, welcome, welcome! Such a delight for you to be here with me.
1: It was an honor. It's a bit um, overwhelming, but happy to be here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? There's always, and as we will continue now, um, so much to learn from you. First of all, what is the MICE industry? Let's start with that.
1: So it's a very unsexy acronym for meetings, incentives, conferences, and exhibition. And I don't know why of all things to call it, but anyway, it's called MICE. But it's pretty much the industry that we're in, it's meetings and conferences, yeah. Okay.
0: And so what prompted you to start that? I'm always fascinated around, and, and this is now, I mean, you've done this, or you are more like a continental events planner and organizer and so much involved in that. What prompted you to get started in the first place?
1: You know, I'll be honest and say that I've never, dreamt of or even thought about owning a business nor running a business right so um, i had my mba but i was just looking to get hired and earn a living i had no big ambitions of becoming whatever it might be so it's just along the line of just working and living in the in the in the cycle of what's called the united states Um, It was just a group of us saying, how do we earn more money? Because our salary that was paid every two weeks would barely see us through for another two weeks. So it's just a way of saying, okay, we need to do something on the side when the gig economy was not even sexy yet. Um, We wanted to have extra income. So we put our heads together and we said, what we're good at is putting parties together. We're really good at throwing parties. Our friends like coming to the events that we did. And we said, but if we wanted to serve other people, We said, what is it that we don't like when we go to especially African-centered events? It's like they start late, they're disorganized, people don't know when they're gonna do what and so forth. So we said, let's start serving the African community within the Washington DC area by doing events. And it was just, you know, we did a a birthday here, a wedding there, a fundraising for another, but it was always a side event, a side uh, business. Um, but after doing a handful, I realized that I absolutely loved doing it. I loved everything from the running around to the unpredictability of it to, um, the, you know, I loved bringing all the different details together and then seeing the outcome. So I knew I loved doing it, but but I never actually thought it would turn into a full-time job.
0: It's interesting. So it's not that you were, you know, passionate about that. In you did, Well, first of all, you didn't even know that you were. And it was really like, let's make some extra money, right? And you stumbled into it and look at this now, kind of leading the market in Africa, right? <laughs> so it's a, you know, and then when you say we,
1: who were you involved with then? So at the time it was me plus three of my girlfriends. So um, we're all in the same boat as far as, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. I
0: know. And what then
1: happened. after a couple of events, come, you know, Uh, After a couple of events, a couple of uh, two of the girls said, this is not fun. They're like, it sounded sexier than it is, and they didn't enjoy it. But um, one of my friends and, and myself kept at it. But again, she also had a full time. I also had my full time. So while in the U.S., I actually never did it on a full time basis, despite my husband encouraging me to just quit my nine to five and do it on a full time basis, again, whether I had a business degree or not, in my head, I never imagined myself running a business. So I always shied away from it. So it didn't actually become a business until I moved to Ethiopia. So when you moved to Ethiopia,
0: why did you not continue working? I mean, being an employee, and why did you decide to go f- fully into that?
1: Um, I did not decide to run business <laughs> when I came. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was very. I was very determined not to be my own boss. So uh, we moved back to Ethiopia, not necessarily in a planned manner, it was just, you know, it was home. And uh, while in Ethiopia, I was actually trying to get hired. I had my, my CV printed with a cover letter, and I was sure that either the AU, um, seeing, uh, African Union is actually headquartered here, and I had my French, or one of the UN institutions, or maybe an embassy. I was sure any international organization would be happy to hire me and um, but because i've been out of the country for about 15 years i didn't know how to navigate the the job market and as i was talking to people that i knew recent returnees from the u.s or other parts uh, of the world they kept saying why do you want to get hired why don't you," you keep saying you love doing events they're like why don't you open your own business and i kept pushing it back i'm like Look, that's just a passion. I really need to earn my own. You know, I need to have a a stable income. So I was like, no. And um, a few months of this, and a friend of mine said, look, I'm trying to put a conference together. He's like, I don't know how to start it. Um, He's like, why don't you help me with that? Easy way in. So I was like, yeah, I can, you know, be more than happy to help you put it together. And mind you, I've never done, I've never actually worked in Ethiopia. I grew up, I went to high school and then I left. So it was... You know, an entire process of figuring out how do you, you know, from simple things like where do you host an event, how do you make the reservation for that, how do you advertise, and this is 2007-2008 and Ethiopia was still on dial up internet, so there was no, you know, this big boom of connectivity and so forth. So I was literally figuring out how to send a fax, how to take posters around the city, how to register people for a conference and so forth. So that one event, and it went really well, I was like, I guess I'm starting a business and we're moving to Ethiopia officially. So that's how (laughs) that happened. You then
0: decided, you know what, I could do this. And, And so looking back now, like 15
1: years, what would you say, any regrets? no regrets um at all i think it's been an amazing journey everything from you know the type of clientele that i've had the opportunity to serve that people have been able to meet how people take me seriously because for the longest time even while i was running flawless for me it was almost like a college project you have a thesis you need to you know properly see it through and then you have to submit and you know the submission was for me the actual event happening and I think to this day, whenever we do a very large event, one, I I still get humbled, but also go, they trusted me for this, you know, huge undertaking, like people are flying from all over the world to attend this event, assuming everything will go well, and it has to go well, right? And so at the beginning, right before the opening of a major event, I always have a, like a stomach cramp. like I physically carry that stress with me until that, at least that first day goes well. So... um, absolutely not great i look back at pictures and i realize the kind of people we've met companies that we've served and i'm like it's so crazy i would have never i can comfortably say ever have done that if i stayed in the u.s like no. and
0: the doors is opened up to you um do you mind i may ask what's the largest event that you've organized and like whoa was this me
1: um, I think the one that really stays with me and it's not just because of who was there. You know, we've been part of an event with um, former President Jimmy Carter. Uh, we did the largest HIV AIDS conference uh, here with uh, when President Bush was here. Um, had an opportunity to meet Desmond Tutu. Um, you know, just we worked with Google. It's insane, right? So, but the one event for this would be one that's called Africa Leadership Network uh, that brought together like brilliant minds of Africa together in one room to talk about what can we do to transform Africa's future. And, you know, you had like a, a VP for McKinsey with um, a director at Google, whatever, and, and these are like Africans from all walks of, from all parts of the continent, but about working in the US and the UK and Australia wherever it might be and they all were in the same space and they were so excited to meet each other and the energy in that space was like so inspiring like 10 years down the road i'm it's still one of my favorite events not because there was a superstar in there but because you see Africans and you go my god we're beautiful and we're brilliant oh yes
0: i'm actually even feeling the energy as you're speaking right like if i was in the room right <laughs> yeah
1: yeah but it's those kind of events that just give you hope on our for our continent. But it's also the type of network where you automatically trust whoever is there. To this day, I think my, the opportunities that I have opened doors for me to do events in other parts of Africa, the springboard was this event where people are like, you know. We have our own person, and these are people who've experienced events globally, so it's hard to wow them, right? But it was the experience that we were able to deliver. So whenever they're asked, whenever they travel within the continent, they want, if somebody says, we want to do this kind of event, to this day, I, they reach back to me and say, hey, there's an opportunity in Kigali. We're going to put your name forward. Da, da, da. So it's it's that. Um, so yeah, it's one there's of my no favorite Excellent.
0: Excellent. Um- I just hear some things from here. In terms of, obviously, you were given the opportunity to have this event. It wasn't the largest um, that you've had in terms of presidents and all that, but the thinkers that were in that room. But obviously, you put your best foot forward, right? I mean, that's why you've won several awards, right? So what's that to you in terms of work ethics and bringing out that spirit of excellence um, in there? How are you able to combine that? Particularly, you know, kind of the impression that people have, oh yeah, because he's in Africa, let's get somebody else who can, an event planner or somewhere for that kind of event and then bring that person in. What have you had to do with your team, yourself, in just setting this company to be that, you know, having that spirit of excellence? So
1: just to rewind a little bit, I went to a French school um, here in Ethiopia. And I was not the smartest or I'm not one of those kids who did really well in school. But what I did have was the discipline of study because I was afraid of disappointing my parents. I did still because I was one of like I barely made it from one grade to the next. But I had I, I really tried hard every year. And the French system is so rigid that I didn't have a choice but to be in it. And the one thing I realized while I was in the U.S. is a lot of the international students, including the African ones, were always the smarter ones in the in the room, right? We we help tutor the Americans, uh, explaining what the assignment is and so forth. So I was like, you know, we're not that bad. I'm not that bad either. I'm not I'm not too dumb. And once you work get in the work environment, you know, the ener- the, the the there's a shift because we're not as networked as our core, you know, American core person and so forth. But anyway, I, I left college knowing that as Africans, we're pretty. And then throughout my work career as well, the people I interact with and so forth. So there's this, there's a thing in us that, that can do it. And we can do it when we're given the opportunity. So when I came back to Ethiopia, for me, this entire concept of it's good enough for Africa used to really infuriate me because I'm like, why is it just good enough? And having met so many African diasporas who are brilliant, all, like in different parts of the U. S., like there was just absolutely no excuse why we couldn't deliver—not just good enough for Africa, but so I never liked this "good enough for Africa" concept. I was like, we're smart, we we can do this just as well as anybody else. And I also invested my time in learning about the events industry. What is a standard? What is a good event versus a bad event? I did it as a passion, but I really didn't know it professionally. So I actually attended a few trade fairs within the US to understand the industry a little better and so forth. So by the time I came back to Ethiopia, I had a a bit knowledge and I came back with a lot of books. Again, this is way before e-book times. And whenever I did something, I wanted to make sure that it was done as well as I possibly can do it. Not as good as expected by the client, but the expectation has always been my own. So I would find myself until two, three o'clock in the morning, arranging names, making sure every name is spelled properly, that every font was the same. You know, I spent overnight cutting badges and reprinting. If it was a little bit crooked, I'm like, why is it crooked? I'm going to have to make it straight. Like every little detail mattered. Even if other people didn't notice it, I noticed it. So I was very almost fanatic to a point where I and having given the name flawless to a company as well.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Pressure, but no pressure, right? To
1: to (laughs) deliver to that expectation. And that a lot of it was my own because when I, at the time that I came back to Ethiopia the events industry was not that developed. So I was actually had the room in Addis is as important as the one that's going to be held in Washington, DC. Um, Our businessmen or our government people deserve to be in a comfortable space where the, they don't have to think about whether the sound system is going to fail or not. They shouldn't have to wait an hour to walk into a conference. Like all of those things have solutions. Sometimes we're just lazy to implement them. So for me, it was, it was non-negotiable. Like it was a non-starter not to be at that level. And as I hired people, because it was a one-woman show for, you know, for two, three years, and I started hiring people, I was, I think, looking back, they probably thought I was insane, but I would keep them in the office until things were perfect, in my view. And a lot of them were just starting off their career, so most of them appreciated it because they got to learn how to be meticulous in the work that they do. Um, And so, you know, especially when we're just me plus one or plus two, it was hard because, as the brand started to get recognized and more companies started booking our services, we're stretched thin. and I did, you know the hardest part for me, and to this day, I believe remains the ability to hire at the right level at the right time, finding that balance in the service industry when you don't even know when the next business is going to come around, you know how well do you stuff yourself up and maintain a cost that you might not be able to offset with the right return? But yeah, the the doing the events part, I like it. It was a passion that I had, so it was easy to push myself overnight, over and over again. You know, three, four days with barely two, three hours sleep, and then I crash and then start over again. Like, I just thought it was, you know, I've started now. There's no, how can I stop?
0: <laughs> right. I mean, several things you've brought up here in terms of it's not necessarily how super intelligent you are, right? Um, but then also the can-do attitude and the, the standards that you set for yourself. Um, and so kind of, you set the high expectation, regardless of whether the client did that, you even had higher expectations than the client. Um, and I think that's a remarkable um, um, traits, right, for, um, female entrepreneurs and even female entrepreneurs as well to be able to do that. And you set the bar and then it's not, so like you are your own competition, right? Especially when you know that, look, I can actually do this and you keep raising that bar higher and higher, particularly even in an industry um, like yours. Okay, so let's move to um, leadership, female leadership and entrepreneurship in Ethiopia. How is that like and what are opportunities? What are the challenges and what are the opportunities? given that you are first,
1: you know, Ethiopia is such a big country. And I think I'm a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of that. Part of the reason that I think why flawless has a brand and you are done as, you know, the person behind the brand, uh, keep getting exposure is one. I'm very comfortable talking about the business, especially the parts of doing events, because I'm very, i I've, I've honed the craft of that and I'm very, I, like, I love talking about it and I don't shy away from uh, talking about it. And I remember a reporter approached me and he said he wanted to, int- to interview me for their paper. And I said, No, I've been interviewed a lot of times. There's so many other women entrepreneurs who are doing amazing work who are, that have a much bigger impact on the community that they're serving. And I'll be happy to do the facilitation because I've met so many of them. And he said, it's not that they're not out there, it's that a lot of of them are not willing to share their stories or are too shy to do so. And, you know, what a lost opportunity because I think, especially for the young entrepreneurs who are now more eager, and in Ethiopia, like 70% of our population is the youth, where they're looking for role models to emulate themselves after. They need to see a lot more women comfortably talking about the journey that they've been through. Because I think, Naturally, as women, we have a tendency of downplaying what we've achieved or what we've done or what we're doing. And in addition to that, if we're still, and furthermore, we're not even willing to go out there and talk about it, then how do we then create the next generation? So I think a lot more...
0: Yeah, okay, go on. Go ahead. No, you were saying about a lot more things You know, whereby um... For, for the youth, right? The, the fact that it's more like a responsibility, right? To the youth. And exactly the things you just said is really why Accelerate Podcast is, is on, right? To so shine the light, blow the trumpet of of really female entrepreneurs doing amazing stuff around the, around the globe and more specifically in Africa to inspire others, both female and male, right? Who are aspiring to be one. And there was a lady that reached out to me some time ago. She's a, a teacher. In Masai, in the Masai Mara region in Kenya, um, what the power of technology has has enabled for her to listen in to the podcast, and then someone else reached out to me in California, um, saying, "Oh, she was listening to this on, uh, you know, she put that on and on her podcast while driving to work." So yeah, so technology and just really sharing stories, inspiring stories like yours that you know what you can do it. For example, you didn't even have this desire, you know, of It's not something you thought about when you were 10, right? Oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and all that. And look at you making waves in Ethiopia. So I'm really delighted uh, to have you on. Okay, so um, what has been, Okay, what would you say would be your greatest learning to date, or top two, three learning experiences doing what you're doing?
1: The one, the learning never stops. Like that, it the learning never, never stops. Yeah, it could kind of be exhausting if you're in the field you know it. The other is just, right. you know, put your best foot forward for every event because you just never know what that one event is going to open the door for. And you don't know who you're going to be interacting with, for me at least. So that level of professionalism, I don't take my shoes off, it's always there. I'm not the type of boss, especially within the African context, there's this expectation where the boss, sits back, and watches us as the others run around. I run twice as fast as everybody and exhaust my team because I don't stop. And because I don't stop, they feel like they also have to keep going, which is really what we need to do, especially in, this, in the industry that we're in. And also just understanding and separating the fact that running a business is not the same as running an event. And that took me about 10 years to understand the difference between You know, running your passion is one thing, but then stopping for a minute and saying, wait a minute, what am I building? What am I doing? Why am I still in this cycle of things going wrong all the time? That's the part of understanding how you've built your business and one needs to get better. So separating those two took me 10 years to have an aha moment of, oh, just because I gave myself the title of CEO doesn't necessarily mean I know how to be a CEO. I know how to be a fantastic event manager and I can coordinate and plan events but despite my MBA, I never learned properly how to run a business.
0: Yeah. Um, you were talking something about really differentiating between planning an event and owning a business. What were your maybe top aha in that? What, was the, what are the major differences that you see or that you saw when you got to your aha 10 You know, years my focus,
1: my drive, and the way that I run the business up until the point that I had the aha moment. I was this person on steroids solely focused on making sure that the client is satisfied and the events were done. And I did not care how many bodies I left along the way, right? So I just took it for granted that people are hired in the events industry can only last a year or two because they get burnt out. But I don't have, I can't allow myself to be burnt out, so I could keep on going. But I just thought it's just the nature of the industry rather than understanding that the way that i was managing my team was horrendous because if i'm gonna stay up 24 hours why can't you stay up 24 hours if you're tired i don't care slap a makeup on and let's keep going and it was just unhealthy and i didn't understand that i should so you know i was just i had like laser focus on the event and the client is like, how can we deliver for the client with the punching bags for the client we're it didn't matter it's like as long as the client is happy let's just keep going and the fact that I had huge turnover in the company did not bother me I just thought that's just the industry so as I was saying the you know it took me a while to separate between running events with a team and then running a business so what I have realized as I was, I, I, um, 2018, I enrolled in the Stanford SEED program that takes small to medium-sized companies and puts them on the right path to scale up. And part of that journey was understanding one, what is this business that I've built? Is it just managing events or is it bigger than that? You know, How do you define the business? And then you go through identifying some of the challenges you have. And then in that process, you actually go through it with your team. And I realized one, I'm a horrible leader. I'm a bully. I'm solely focused on making sure events go well, but I don't take time to take care of my team. So i I was stuck in this event planner mode that happens to own a business rather than shifting mentally and learning to become a CEO. And if you ask me now, what is the difference, you know my role should be building an environment for a team that can keep on doing events. Right. So hiring the right people, making sure we're financially responsible, having policies and procedures in place, but making sure that they are properly implemented. Building the network and the relationship with the right people so business can come into the, the company and then grow. And also just identifying what are the, some of the opportunities. And if I'm not the right person to follow those opportunities, hire the people that can actually go after them. Right. So this sounds logical when you say it out loud, but to this day, it's a struggle because one, we're a small company. So I, you know, I, I go between, you know, yeah, and going back and forth. And it's hard because that part of where you're nurturing and growing the team keeps falling through the crack. And it's so difficult to this day. It's very difficult. But at least um, that journey with Stanford Seed gave me the insight. I, I know better. So before I could clean, uh, I did not know know. exactly. Now I know, so it's actually harder because every time I fall backwards, I'm like, I'm doing it again. And you know, especially within our industry that has been hit by COVID and business has slowed down, I can bring excuses and saying, but you know, 2019, 2020, after I've learned and I knew better, COVID came, so I couldn't hire the right people, and you know, yada yada yada. But it doesn't change the fact that I've learned those two are very different roles so now i understand that a better ceo i do believe that a better person is fitted to run the potential of flawless than i am because at the core of me i've never wanted to own a business so what i've discovered is events is my passion but you know running this business in the way that it should be is not my strength
0: right so at some point somebody else who will take over that whole you know the people and all of that you would get in. So it's key to recognize where your strengths are, right? And and being able to walk in your strength zone doesn't mean that, I mean, you you founded the company, right? But you also realize that there might be someone who has better skills in this area um, and that will free you up for that. So that's actually, even owning up to that is also, and that's um, awareness, right, even as a leader constantly being aware and um, being able to say, okay, you know what, these are my gaps. And actually now enrolling in some kind of form of education to help you get that. And that's what's gonna help you um, get to that next level, which is what I wanna to get to before my second to the last question. No, three questions and we're done. The first one is COVID, obviously with your, um, your business being um, in, you know, in, the, in the event planning, event organization uh, space, COVID obviously affected your business. How did you, um, I don't want to call it survive, thrive? <laughs> or how did you maintain? <laughs> so, okay, you're correcting me, survive. Yeah. How did you do that? And did you consider like, hey, okay, I think we're getting to the end of this. Almost.
1: I think, you know, like most business owners, um, you know, mentally, it was just heavy. It was depressing. It was, for our industry was like, I was like, is this the end of the road? Um, One thing that I realized when I went through the Stanford SEED program is, you know, flawless as a business is financially very responsible. We were cash healthy. Um, And so one of the things that I was able to do is just forecast and see how long can we survive with the savings that we have. And so we sat down as a team and actually the team came to me and they said, look, if we need to do a salary cut while we're sitting at home, let's revisit that. And so I was really lucky to have the team that I had at the time. Because they stepped up to the plate when
0: I being lucky, but it also it also shows you know it's not just usually it's also the leader right in terms of what they've put in place for them right. to be for them to come to you to say you know they, they could have not so good leaders like you know what
1: let us keep paying right but for them yeah. to come
0: to you to say you yeah. know what
1: that's what it's it also it you know, was you know. a blessing yeah and um, they kind of you know they they stepped up when I needed them to, because I just could not mentally function. I was paralyzed. I did not know what, what was next. So the team was willing to take a pay cut. We stayed home for like two, three months. And then I think I was just going down the rabbit hole of, okay, how much money do we have left? And you know, what's, and I just, I honestly, I just, I, I, I was frozen. And again, they shook me up and they said, we need to go back into the office. There's no way that we're, we're all getting depressed sitting in our home. So let's just go back in the office because Ethiopia never went into a lockdown. And we did. And then they, um, they said, you know, we're going to get into the virtual space. We're going to figure out how to run hybrid events, virtual events. They put together the, our network of vendors and they said, let's learn, let's learn together on how we're going to day-to-day figure out what business we can bring in this virtual space. And they did. And and it took me a while to say, okay, well, how's this working now? How do you do virtual events? <laughs> so they had to
0: Wow. So what would you say, what do you think what is, what was instrumental to your team rising up to the occasion? Because that's what
1: happened. Here. I think they just loved the brand and could not accept the fact that it was dying. Like they were just fighting hard. They were like, as much as I may be driving them crazy and so forth, I think understanding that... <laughs> The brand flawless itself. They were just not willing to let it die down. They're like, we, there's no way. And I'm super grateful. Not everybody is still with me from that journey, but they needed to be there for me at that time. And I do believe in, uh, not coincidences, but things happen for a reason. But yeah. For the past two years, has it been with COVID? It's insane. We've done a lot of, we've been... <laughs> showing value in event companies when it still comes to virtual spaces and we experiment with different platforms and we suggest whatever is affordable for our clients and we smooth out whatever wrinkles come in the way and we stayed within what's our signature service which is you know we take on all the stress so that you can you don't have to worry about it so that's how between the virtual and the hybrid events
0: You've done that. So what I see here is, you know, the brand stood up, right? Beyond you are done. So the team was not really, okay, yeah, you are done, you are the CEO, but it's also the brand. And so there was that collective ownership of that brand, right? And so the importance of really building a brand that is separate from you, the CEO, you know? Yeah, you are not okay, you know what? We have a brand to, to take care of and all that. Hmm. Rather inspiring. So what's the future for Flawless Events? What do you see? I hope
1: a a better CEO will come around. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) The brand flawless has a lot of value in other people's eyes. I think more so than I recognize. And I don't think the brand has realized all of its potential. And I think it's because it's limited to what I can do. So I do hope I'll be able to identify the right... Person as I also try to figure out what's next for me. It's been 13, 14 years with Flawless if we take in consideration the journey in DC, it's about 17 years. It's a long time, right? You still feel like it's at the beginning of it, but because it's such an emotionally and physically exhausting industry, I'm like, okay. I'm mentally, and again, thanks to the learnings I've had from the Stanford program, I'm mentally okay now, because I was very emotionally attached to it. But now I'm like, okay, I've built this thing that can stand on its own. And maybe now it's time for me to grow up and figure out what's next. (laughs) What
0: you want to do, right? (laughs) Well, with with some record of success, right? And taking it, whatever your next passion will be, given that you discovered that while you were just trying to look for some extra income, right, and so, oh, okay. I could actually do event planning. Okay. And last but not the least question, what would you be saying to, uh, and I think you kind of touched on that a bit, maybe any final word for an aspiring female entrepreneur um, anywhere in Africa who is listening to this?
1: I would say, I know it's not a very famous or highly regarded thing to say, but I've never seen myself as a female entrepreneur. I really see myself as a capable event planner. Like, I will sit down with a minister, a prime minister, a country leader. You cannot tell me how to do this event because I know better than you do. And I would argue to a point where sometimes I told, okay, stand down, calm down now. But for me, because I know what I'm talking about, you know how to do whatever you need to do. You've hired me to do this. So when I sit at that table, I sit knowing why I'm there. And the fact that I'm a female does not come into play. I really don't care. It doesn't matter. So I think. Build that confidence in whatever it is that you want to do, and for a minute, just put the fact that you're a female to the back burner and show up to that table as the capable person that you are, and make your voice heard. I have team members who are brilliant in one thing or another, and I see them being shy in the office. They're like nonstop talking, da 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 da. And then I take them in front of a client, and they get all shy. And I'm going, "Where's that fiercey little girl that was in the office, like telling, convincing me that this was the idea that we needed to implement?" So it's one is practice, right? We are not really given a lot of opportunities and we don't put ourselves in those areas where we need to defend ourselves or our ideas. The more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And don't be shy to, to take on opportunities that are given to you. And there's it's always a building block. Um, there will be things that you'll have to, you may experience just because you're a female, but don't let that be the discouragement, but like just know that you know more of what you're trying to achieve. So don't give up. Don't, don't let the female part be the part that holds you back. If the business doesn't succeed, it should be because either they were the customer base was not there for it, the product was not ready for the market or whatever it might be. But really just focus on what you want to do and get better at it all the time and don't stop learning. Absolutely, don't stop learning. It's never good enough until be your own until until right (laughs) never stop right wow
0: wow thank you so much for uh these insightful words really you've really shared um quite a lot i'm actually going to go back and you know just listen to that again me as well i like listening to that and take my own notes so thank you for spending this time despite our internet challenges i think it's got back up and um For you listening out there, uh, let us know, ask your questions. You can post that um, in the platform right there and um, share that with your friends as well. Thanks again for being a part of Accelerate Podcast. Until next time, endeavor to live a significant life. This concludes this episode of Accelerate. All the information links will be down in the show notes. If you have not done so already, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player of choice on Apple. This will make sure you don't miss any of the amazing content we have lined up and rolling out for you. If you love this episode, it will mean a lot if you would leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. Finally, If you haven't connected with me over on Instagram and you're interested in learning more about similar episodes and all that's happening before they even get announced publicly, let's make sure to connect over there at Accelerate or Nekamubi on Instagram. But with all that said, I appreciate you being here. I look forward to connecting with you over on Instagram. And until I see you in the next episode, endeavor to grow, profit, and make an impact.